what's going on, Just Goes to Show listeners. It's your co-host, Ridge, back with another episode. Welcome back. Jack, we are back yet again. Uh, another weekend of Premier League action to discuss and a lot of other bullshit going on around the league, too, uh, as it always does this time of the year, end of the January window. Um, pretty crazy results this weekend, shaking things up. Um, a lot of teams at the top struggling. But uh, how, how are you doing? How, uh, how was the weekend for you? Weekend was great, mate. Um, had a, another wedding, um, early early part of the year wedding down in Florida. Um, and uh, so that was a lot of fun. Um, but overall, found myself, you know, streaming prem on my phone kind of whether it be at, at a lunch table or something like that i was able to sneak in the full city um spurs game uh which i thought of, although it was just a one no game was a really exciting game we'll get into obviously harry breaking the record and talk about that a little bit but um to preview preview the pod for this week uh we're gonna first we're gonna assess now that january has finally passed just a last touch on on the final transfers that went over either on deadline day or sort of the, there was quite a bit of business that happened um, in the last bit of the uh, last day or two of the window, um, especially at Crystal Palace, which was exciting. Um, and then there's been also recent movement at the manager level. Um, so we'll get into that as well. Sort of a lot of shifting outside of just results in the Premier League. Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about the news that broke around Manchester City today. Um, I was on Twitter today and saw you liking some some insightful tweets, Chris. So um, I was actually kind of learning after you were learning, which was interesting. Um, and then, of course, we'll, we'll jump to the fantasy corner. I'm presenting trivia to Chris, and then we'll wrap up with predictor app picks. So should be a nice pod. Um, yeah, should we go? Chris, Chris, hit us transfer recap. Like walk us into last couple days business that you found notable. It was a busy window. Um, you don't always get that in January. There's always a lot of rumors, but the Premier League never sleeps. Uh, a lot of the other leagues didn't really do a whole lot of business, and the Premier League was uh, not on the same page with the rest of Europe. There were teams buying guys left and right, and all the way down to the wire, really, with the deadline. Uh, the biggest one, obviously, uh, being the most expensive one, Enzo Fernandez finally going to Chelsea from Benfica uh, with about 120 mil. Should be paid out in a few installments, but still a massive, massive fee. Um, and he hopped into the lineup straight away, uh, started for them, got to watch that on Friday, the Chelsea-Fulham match. Uh, not the result you'd want as a Chelsea fan, still no goals. Uh, Kai Havertz had a few chances, but... Uh, if you watch that match, I mean, Enzo, I thought, looked great. He fit right in there. What a what a turnaround. I think he'd probably been with the club for maybe two days prior to, to playing. And, I mean, he didn't really have a bad t- – eh, one or two sloppy passes, but for the most part was really, really sharp, uh, kind of fit into that holding midfield role for them with uh, Conte still not being fit to play. I thought he was exactly what they were missing, at least as far as the midfield goes. They still have – Needs elsewhere on the pitch, mainly uh, at the striker position, but uh, it's going to be a lot for him to live up to that price tag. We've seen it with other players, most recently Jack Grealish, where there's just that fee is what's going to get talked about every time uh, you go on the pitch, especially when you're not playing well. But he looked really, really good, I thought. So um, I don't know where that's going to take Chelsea this season, but long term, it seems like he's going to be a key player for them, I would think. Yeah, and I mean, to, to put... The things I found fascinating about the Enzo transfer were, yeah, I mean, it's a player who was bought by Benfica, what, six months ago for like four, 14 million pounds? Four, I believe it was 14 million over the summer, yeah. 14 million, six months ago. So they turned around and and he was the British transfer record um, for the highest fee ever, ever paid, um, you know, almost 10x um that investment straight away now i understand that about uh, i was reading around like 35 percent went back to uh boca i think who's his, his or river plate i think wherever he was in argentina um and and so you know benfica doesn't recoup all of that fee but i mean that's just ridiculous business right like six months you can you know your player value can 10x and the world cup played a big role in that and i think that's the one of the unique things about the world cup is that can really only happen if a player plays on a team that makes a deep tournament run on the global stage of the World Cup, um, who is kind of not that not that well known, um, 
And, you know, there's not that many potential players who could do that on some of these major international sides. So, yeah, just a fascinating sort of economic um, situation with the Enzo Fernandez transfer. And then the other piece that's interesting, which I don't know, Chris, like how I don't know why this is like a new thing that's that's happening. If you sort of follow Premier League Twitter or Premier League, the, the finances of some of these deals is like um, there's a lot of talk about how when you sell a player, it instantly benefits you for financial fair play in that year, right? So you Im- immediately post all the revenue from that player sale, right? Um, if you sell a player, unless of course the team agrees to pay you out in installments, you can delay the, that we can windfall the own payment of that deal, right? Um, mm-hmm. But if it's a lump sum fee, say you pay 40 million quid for a player, like you, that's just 40 million cash, boom, to, to your balance sheet. Um, and apparently I, I get no one, I never heard about this, but what Chelsea is doing with all of these deals is they're amateur, uh, amateurizing their purchase over the length of the contract. So what that means is if they buy Enzo Fernandez and sign him on an eight year contract for a hundred million, well, they're actually only posting that as it's costing them, you know, a hundred divided by eight, around 12 and a half. So 12 and a half million pounds is what they posted as the cost of the transfer this year. Right. Um, and so that's the, we've talked on the pod about how Chelsea has these huge contracts, um, you know, these eight, nine year deals. That's why they're doing it is because in order to kind of skirt financial fair play, they're then posted, they're reporting the outgoings of, you know, the cost of the, these deals over the lifetime value of that contract, um, which hasn't really been done before. And I guess that's, that's Todd uh, Bowley, like the, the American owner sort of taking an an American approach thinking, Hey, these players, like they're not going to retire when they're 23. So it's just interesting that no one's done that. And it's also interesting that like, that's never really been talked about before until this Chelsea team has done what they've just done, which is spent, they just spent over six, they've spent over 600 million pounds since Todd Bowley's come in charge, which is absolutely ludicrous. um, Going back to my earlier, just, I, it was River Plate that he came from. I'm now seeing 44 million on transfer mark. I swear I saw something for 14. Either way, I mean, if you're making three times that six months later, that's insane. But um, regardless, it is interesting. I don't really know the nitty gritty financial details on how that will play out with uh, financial fair play. I mean, I'm assuming they've looked into it and it's going to work out in the short term. I don't know if that's going to potentially set them up long term where they have all this committed spending down the road um, that they're going to have to essentially recoup to stay um, compliant with the financial fair play. That's something to keep an Mm -hmm. eye on over the next eight to 10 years or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But it is interesting. I mean, it's the business they've been doing is a little bit crazy um, in terms of just the sheer amount of spending and the overhaul they've had at the club. But it does seem like for the most part, these are quality players they're bringing in. Um, Kyle Mudrick, he only played the first half uh, against Fulham, but they also brought in Noni Maduke, who they just signed as well from PSV. He came out for the second half, uh, another winger. He looked pretty good. I mean, I think it's hard to argue too much right now in either direction because we've seen one performance from Fernandez. He looked great, but um, it's going to take a lot of time to really, uh, I guess, see that investment come to fruition i don't even know if it'll ever make sense to spend that much money on one player but they're definitely doing it a little bit of a different way and i guess credit to bully that he's willing to spend and go for it it seems reckless and i think the fact that he's an american puts even more scrutiny on him but um they're going for it so from that perspective you have to give him a little bit of a tip of the cap yeah and and i saw a stat uh you know kind of wrapping up the financial thoughts before we end up with city later just on chelsea that the um the the adjusting for inflation that is the mo- this is the most a club's ever spent within the first year of an ownership group or in a season right so that's summer window winter window over 600 million pounds the only time that a club has spent more was the same club chelsea in 2003 2004 uh, when abramovich famously uh, acquired the acquired the club and then spent a ton of money um going and buying the likes of you know, D-Day Drogba, Frank Lampard, et cetera. So, and, and building out that team that was dominant for the next, you know, for the next decade. Um, so it, it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. And honestly, like I, I go back and forth trying to be like critical or a fan of it. And I just, I'm kind of reserving judgment. That seems kind of lame, but just because no one's done this before, it could be, I mean, we very much could live in a world where if this starts to look good for Chelsea in the next two or three seasons, like, 
everyone's doing that. Like every soccer player all of a sudden is getting in the Premier League is getting an eight, nine, 10 year deal. And these clubs just lock people down for a long time. Right. Um, and then you'll start to see, it'll start to get very interesting. Cause like, you know, people like Declan Rice who want to leave on a free at the end of next season, like you almost kind of never can. So it'll make sort of the opposite of like when I think about college sports with like the transfer portal and you can kind of go and get paid anywhere, sort of the opposite of that system. So I don't know. It's, it's just going to be really fascinating to, to, to watch, but that's enough, uh, you know, enough about Chelsea and enough about Todd Bowley. Um, shifting gears over to Crystal Palace. Um, they brought in two dynamic uh, box-to-box central midfielders in uh, Sambi Lakonga and uh, Nairu Ahamada from Stuttgart. Um, so Lakonga is Belgian, right, Chris? Yeah, um, yeah, he's Belgian. And... 23-year-old Belgian. Um, that's just a, a loan until the end of the season for Lakonga. No yep. buy option there. Yeah, and then Ahamada is French. Um, previously was at Juventus, then at Stuttgart. Um, and then uh, he's 20, so he's a little bit younger than Lakonga, right? But a little yes, bit less and, then, and that's and that's an actual signing. So, yeah, I mean, it's funny too. You see a guy like Patrick Vieira bringing a 20 year old French midfielder, and your eyes light up a little bit. You you think that he obviously yeah. has to have a lot of pull when bringing guys like that to the club. Um, Lakonga as well, you know, a central midfielder who was playing for Arsenal. You're gonna. <laughs> You're going to get a lot of influence from a guy like Patrick Vieira for both of those two players for a lot of reasons. Um, and, you know, Palace have had a lot of trouble scoring this season. I don't know if either of these players really helps a ton with that. Ahamada is um, probably a little bit more uh, influential when it comes to their attack than Lakanga would be. But uh, either way, they're probably still lacking another goal scorer or a forward, especially with Wolf Zaha now being out a few weeks with a hamstring injury. Um and we saw a little bit of that over the weekend against United. They did end up getting a goal. But uh, I think it's it's good business for Palace. Uh, Lakanga is pretty risk-free, right? You got him for the end of the season on loan. You never know what might happen after that. Ahamada uh, seems like a little bit more of a signing for the future. But there's no doubt they needed midfielders to bring into the squad, mm-hmm. um, kind of filling that void that Connor Gallagher played last season. And, um, you know, there is history of them loaning some of these central midfielders from the top Premier League clubs. Gallagher was their player of the season last year. So um, they needed to do something. It was right at the end of the window. But I, I like both moves on paper at this point. Yeah, I think I think you have to look at the Lokonga loan with very, with, through a very different lens than the Gallagher loan. Um, I think in the Gallagher loan, I think Palace kind of got screwed over a little bit there because, you know, uh, Gallagher ended up lighting the world, world alight transfer value soared and they end up turning around, you know, being, being asked to cough up 40, 50 million pounds to sign him full time. Whereas, you know, they never would have been able to, I mean, think back to when he was, he was scuttering around the West Brom central midfield, right? Like he wasn't that good of a player before he played for Patrick Vieira's palace side. Um, so they really, you know, Chelsea stood to benefit greatly from there and palace kind of, it's a good example of kind of short term, uh, short-term investment, right? And not thinking long-term. And then with that Ahamada deal, they're kind of sort of doing the opposite, right? They took that player, um, bought him uh, outright, and hopefully, you know, he can grow and his value can grow over time. Um, but the Lokonga signing obviously is very different, right? Because he he's more sort of more of a instant quality in central midfield, slots in to offset maybe some of the developmental time that Ahamada needs. And Cech Dukure has just been kind of all alone in his in central midfield, either next to Jeff Schlupp or Will Hughes, who, um, you know, I don't want to say are bad players, but just don't quite have um, some of the attributes. Like Will, Will Hughes has sort of the, the first touch and the, the ball playing ability, but doesn't have the the athleticism. And then Schlupp is the opposite, right? Has the athleticism, but doesn't quite have the um, ball playing ability. So uh, I think Lukonga fits in nicely. Um, he'll get he'll get good game time at Palace right into the season. Ahamada will rotate nicely into into the team, and hopefully his value grows grows over time. So good business from Palace. I'm, you know, selfishly for for anyone listening, I, I'm quite pleased with both Aston Villa and Crystal Palace's January windows. Although they were a little bit conservative, um, you know, I'm, I'm not one to. I, I, I it's very rare that you see a, a deal in January. You know, being being that strong of value in hindsight, it always feels like good, you need to make a make. Yeah, you feel like you need to make a move more than you actually do. Right. I don't think it's a good strategy to necessarily overhaul or try to completely revamp the squad mid-season in January. Um, but picking up a couple of guys that can make an impact is uh, always mm-hmm. going to help, especially when you're, you know, Palace are in a spot right now where they're not 
really in the relegation battle, but it, a bad run of form can see them get into that conversation. So they really just need to shore up the squad a bit. Um, they're going to probably probably finish between like 12th and 14th like they have every season. But, um, you know, Ahamada especially could be a, a key piece for them going forward. That's that's the goal at least. And then um, one other late move, another loan deal. I have to imagine this was a little bit due to Christian Eriksen picking up an injury, uh, but Sabitzer to United. So um, this one was, I don't know, for me, I didn't really see a lot of rumors about him uh, before the move. Um he came off the bench this weekend, so came in right away. Um, Austrian midfielder, you know, 28, so you'd think he's pretty much in the prime of his career coming from Bayern on loan. Uh, a player with a lot of experience that you would think they're going to rely on quite a bit, even more so with Ericsson now being sidelined, I believe, till April, I, I saw, um, which is unfortunate. He was playing really well. What do you think about this move for United? I think it's wise because I think he gives you much better central midfield options, especially going forward than than Fred and McTominay. Some people are saying Fred's having a bit of a renaissance under uh, Ten Hag, but I, you know, I I think I don't know if he's as classy on the ball as well, he's definitely not as classy on the ball as Eriksson is. Sabitzer, people forget, was I mean the absolute heart and soul of. Um, Leipzig, right? That Red Bull Leipzig team uh, for for several years. I think he was at Salzburg because he's Austrian, then moved to Leipzig, um, and and did very well in the Bundesliga. And that's how he ended kind of ended up at Bayern. Bayern pulled one of those moves where they almost bought somebody because of how good they were uh, for a competitive team, and then he sort of rode the pine at uh, at Bayern. So very classy player, almost similar to Eriksson, where like uh, started off as kind of like a, a gifted attacking midfielder in his former years, and as he sort of gets older, is drifting more and more drifting deeper um, as sort of a deep line playmaker at times. Um, so I, I think it's a pretty similar signing to Ericsson, but you know, the Premier League is also a, a different league. So how quickly he gets acclimated, we'll find out. Um, but I, I imagine with the suspension of Casemiro, he might get some game time here soon. Yeah. I would imagine he'll start uh, against Leeds here because I, he might have anyway, but definitely with the Casemiro suspension, I would expect him to play. Yeah. Over 200 appearances for Leipzig. Um, not as consistent in terms of his playing time with Byron. So probably makes sense on both front, both fronts for right now. It's another one of those loan moves where it's like, hey, well, we could use you for the next few months, and then we'll, be, we'll see what happens after that. You never know. He's mm-hmm. 28, so you can see him making a move still to a big club. Um, but I think it makes sense for them, given where they're at. And uh, you're right. It's got to be an upgrade over Fred and McTominay, you think. So um, I like that. One other move that was very uh, – <laughs> Interesting, I guess. A little bit surprising. I think it probably caught a lot of people off guard. Uh, was Keylor Navas going on loan to Nottingham Forest? Um, a guy who has had a, a pretty illustrious career and goes to a club that you know is recently promoted, now going to be doing their best to stay up at this point. Um, and he made an instant impact. They got another big three points this weekend. He had a lot of really good saves. Um, and this is a guy who's played for some of the biggest clubs in the world. Uh, a, really good run for him at Real Madrid. Um, and now he's just um, kind of at the end of his career and wasn't playing, uh, wasn't going to get in front of Donnarumma at PSG. So uh, gets a little loan out to Forrest. And I mean, he was, he was man of the match uh, in their last match here and he played really, really well. Yeah. It sort of reminds me when Aston Villa picked up Pepe Reina um, a few, two seasons ago when they were in this sort of the relegation scrap and, he put. He started the last. I think he was on like a month loan for the for the last month of the season. Um, I think Kaylor. I mean, if you're a Forest fan, what an awesome signing, right? Like you have the former Real Madrid and PSG keeper, um, Croatian international, been to the World Cup. No, Costa Rican um, international. Or, sorry, wow, Croatian. Yeah, Costa Rican. <laughs> some similar. There's some similar letters in there in my defense, but um, yeah, Costa Rican international. Uh, very experienced, um, and uh, and so and that's you know that's what that team needs in goal. I'm all I, I like Dean Henderson, but um, you know Wayne Hennessy wasn't going to get the job done, and Henderson's been uh, injured for a little while, so um, I think it's probably Navas's job to lose the rest of the season, and then Forrest, you know, I'm sure we'll buy four keepers in the summer and figure it out then. Yeah, no, and uh, credit to Forrest as well, and, and Steve Cooper, so. They obviously just kept a clean sheet against uh, Leeds on Sunday. In their last five matches, they have three wins and two draws. They've only conceded two goals. So their narrative to start the season was how how shaky they were defensively, conceding a lot. Um, They've really changed up uh, their 
their makeup tactically. They've gone a lot more defensive and it's paid off. And now they're really they're climbing up the table to a point where if they can push this form a little bit longer, you could see them separating themselves from the bottom three a little bit. Right now they're on 24 points, six points clear the relegation spots. So it's been a really good resurgence for them. You have to think novice is going to help them keep moving in that direction. So I like that yeah. move quite a bit. I think it's one of the, the better moves of the window probably, especially if it keeps Forrest up. You know, the, Their goal at this point, they've signed a million players. All they're trying to do is stay up uh, and then regroup for next season. So I really like that one. Um, the last one that I wanted to, to touch on that um, will mean a lot to a lot of our listeners specifically was Weston McKinney to Leeds. Um, that was another late loan move. And uh, obviously, if you're uh, a fan of the U.S. men's national team, pretty exciting to have Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, Brendan Aronson all on the same team with what you thought was going to be an American manager as well. Um, McKinney's, uh, I think he's a really good player. I thought he... He wasn't totally fit at the World Cup. He had some good moments there. Um, but he's a definitely a, a player that can bit, get straight into an 11 in the Premier League um, with a, with a pretty good pedigree. Now at this point, it's probably thrown up in the little in the air a little bit with what's happened with Jesse Marsh over the last 24 hours. Um, but you know, at the time I thought, okay, cool, a 24 year old, if he fits in really well there, I don't think Juventus are gonna really want to deal with him long term. So. I liked it at first. Now I'm a little bit more <laughs> hesitant, or I'm not really sure where it's going to go at this point. Yeah, I think he's a. I think him and Tyler Adams are a strong midfielder, strong midfield duo, and I think that you know even if who whomever comes in next to Leeds, I think those two guys will have roles to play. Um, they bought him outright as opposed to any loan move, right? Oh. So they own him, um, and uh, and so I think they'll both be there. Well, you said they didn't buy him; they loaned him. I I could be wrong on that. Let me double check. I'm going to fact check that. Go ahead. Okay, yeah, fact check that, please. Thank you, sir. Um, but I, th- I think the, I think both Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney um, will be in that midfield through the rest of the season for Leeds. I think they're good players. I think they cover a lot of ground. They have a relationship together. Um, I think they'll be fine. And I, it's also nice to see McKinney and an, another American in the Premier League, um, albeit you know, funny enough, all playing for Leeds. But um, I, you know, then it's very interesting that sort of they, they, they Leeds have backed had back Jesse Marsh with all these American players and then go on and, um, you know, and, and fire him a year later, which, which we'll get into in a second. I did want to quickly, yeah. um, well, I was going to say it, it is a loan with option to buy low with option to buy. Okay, cool. So we're both right in a way. Um, th- there's also, if you kind of look down the Premier League table, not to neglect some other teams who, who, who did some business, Southampton made a couple interesting signings, um, signed, signed, signed a winger and then a very, a six foot seven striker from, from gank, Bournemouth signed, I think, Ghanaian winger Suleimana, as well as another uh, att- attacking option, Semenyo from Bristol City. Um, and so, and then Leicester City signed uh, Tete, Brazilian winger, for an interesting deal. Um, he was on loan from, I think, Shakhtar to Lyon, so he did kind of get loaned back, and then they bought him outright. I think another good sign. Uh, it's a very good signing for Leicester, and he scored against Villa on the weekend. So some of those teams, you know, 11th through 20th, going about and and doing some business in January. And obviously they're doing that all with the intention that that can be the difference and, and keeps them up. Yeah, no, definitely a lot of moves um, and a lot of guys going straight into these squads. So mm-hmm. we'll probably have more to talk about over the next few weeks as these guys get their, uh, their feet in them a little bit at the clubs that they uh, they're joining. But um, let's, let's go back and, and dive into the Jesse, Jesse Marsh thing. Now um, we're going to talk about a couple of manager moves, but um, I know you had a lot of opinions on this when they got announced earlier. So I'll let you have the floor for a bit. Yeah, I just think, you know, and I, don't, and I don't want to sort of rant about Jesse Marsh because he's gone and it's over and it's done. But I just think, I think Leeds have a bit of a problem. And I think the problem at Leeds is not the results that they've been getting, but it is the this sort of like fan. And it's sort of similar in a way to the problem that is at Aston Villa. And so maybe I think that's why I notice it so much. I think Leeds fans, and because of historically they've been a huge club in, in Europe, I think Leeds fans are expecting them to finish in the top half of the table, right? And so there's this sort of cultural, you know, situation where, you know, people, the Leeds of the 80s, when they used to go, Don Revy, Don Revy's Leeds, when they used to win everything in Europe, like, I think there's an air of that in the club. Um, and, and unfortunately, I think that creates 
extremely unrealistic expectation uh, expecta- expectations um, at the fan level, um, and that that bleeds into pressure on the manager, uh, into leadership at the club, the ownership group, the manager, etc. And it, it, and that pressure kind of forces things to to pop. And so I've seen that at Villa. Um, you know, even this weekend, Villa have, Villa have been brilliant under Unai Emery. And I'm like on Villa Twitter and I'm, you know, you listen to Villa Park, fans are moaning every time they pass the ball sideways, you know, as if, you know, as if it's like 1930 and they're supposed to hoof it forward every single time they get the ball. And, and I, and there's a level of sort of impatience. And then on the opposite end of that spectrum, I see like Crystal Palace, for example, who, you know, have never won the Premier League and their fans just want players to come out, run, do everything they can, um, and, and give a hundred percent for the shirt. There is this sort of like always this different cultural expectation where they're just sort of happy to be in the Premier League. And as a result, I think that puts Palace in a spot where they can build for the long term, right? They're not like smashing and grabbing and trying to make a run for every two seasons um at, at, at you know at winning the Premier League. And and I think Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool is a great example is it takes years to build a team and get them playing at the level and consistently and build a squad and then challenge in Europe. It takes years to build that and excellent recruitment, excellent infrastructure, um, you know, or, or insane investment, right? Which, um, you know, only a handful of teams have the, the power to do. So I, I, I'm, I'm just annoyed with the lead sacking because I think, it's unrealistic from the ownership group. It's unrealistic. I, I mean, they have sporting directors who are, have been seen like getting in fights with fans at, at home games. I just think they're it's a rash, immature, um, ill ill aligned in terms of their expectations for their their own club, um, and that's you know that created pressure on Marsh. Where I think he was building a good he was that their squad's pretty good. They 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 weren't hard to play against, or that they were hard to play against. Excuse me, very difficult to play against. Very difficult to go to Leeds and get a result. Um, they had a lot of momentum and, and backing behind the manager. On the, he he helped get them out of the releg, you know out of the relegation zone last season, and then you know he's gone in twelve months. And I just think you know look, look at Forest for example. They kind of know what they're up to this season, right? And Forest are a great historical club. I'll be disappointed if, if in Forest in two years if something similar happens. But you know I I, I hope it doesn't. Um, but I just think. I, I just think if you're Leeds, you just need to have a little. You need to be a little bit more in tune with where where where, where are you going to finish if you're Leeds, really, right? Well, like, like you said, they have a good they have a good squad. They do, um, but they haven't won since November fifth. That was their last one. Right, and... but it's like if if you're Leeds, you win you win two games, and you're you're into twelfth. So you you're where you're where Crystal Palace is, right? They also have a game in hand. So they win their one game in hand, they're in 14th. Then they win again, they're in 12th. And I know I'm playing the what-if game, but, mate, like, you've got Liverpool is on 29 points. Then, what, you're five points back of Liverpool and, and you know, like, the, the team that's been on top of the Premier League for the past, you know, five years? I just think, I don't know, I these teams at the bottom who, it's that, it's very, it, we keep talking, we talk about this a lot in pot, at least I do. It's very difficult to sort of make that push into the, top seven, eight teams in the league. And there's a couple teams in England doing it right now. Brighton, Brentford, Fulham, right? Um, it's very difficult to push into there. But if you look at the way that those teams are doing it, um, it's with good recruitment. It's with uh, consistent management philosophy throughout the team. Even if your manager changes, right? There's a top-down identity that's consistent, right? And Brentford, their recruitment is their recruitment stance is always very similar. Brighton, very efficiently well-run club, as much as I, it pains me to say. And Fulham even um, have been very well-run and going down, picking up Marco Silva. They've been up and down and have always played sort of a similar high-press, high-intensity brand of football. So, um, I just, yeah, My I, biggest issue with it is more of the timing. Um, you know, you just go out and you back him for West yeah, McKinney, I mean, you back him for Jorginho Rutter, who's an expensive signing, and then your first game out of the window and he's gone like that. Um they didn't play very well against Forrest. I don't know if they deserved to lose 1-0. I mean, Forrest scored pretty early. Brennan Johnson, great goal. Uh, but Leeds had been dominant for the first 10, 15 minutes. It seemed like they were going to get a goal, and then they're down 1-0 all of a sudden, and Forrest played a smart, um, kind of packed it in, and, and they they earned their three points. But it wasn't like Leeds got played off the pitch in any way. It, it just seems 
it seems like the the direction of the ownership and they're they're saying this now with their new managerial searches we want to focus on our long-term plan long-term long-term but then they act the exact opposite of it and it's it's similar to what happened last season and i brought it up uh, i think i think it was our last pod you asked me what i what i think is going to happen what i want to happen with jesse marsh and i said that Leeds have already shown that they're willing to abandon the long-term thing to try to put a bandit on it and stay up. And I, I don't totally blame them because you need to stay up. Uh, if they go down, it could be pretty disastrous for them. But it's not always – you're not going to want to be getting a new manager in every January, every early February. Um, and so I don't really know. Like If they're going to bring in another guy that's like a Bielsa, like a Jesse Marsh who wants to – um, you know, install their own tactics and bring in their own players, then you're kind of just starting over again. So I think as a lead supporter, a lot of them wanted Jesse Marsh out. They didn't like what they were seeing, but okay, you guys are back at square one again. And and how many times are you going to keep doing this, right? When you have managers that, um, you know, Bielsa, I don't think anyone would argue, but I think Marsh has got a lot of talent. He's a young manager. He's got a lot of passion and energy. It's the kind of guy you want leading your club when the results are going the right way. And sometimes you just have to tough out those those rough stretches when you're a team that's in a spot like Leeds where you you have to think that you might be in a relegation battle your second season up in the prem. But um, yeah. anyway, so one team that did a similar move, but I, I like it in this instance, is Everton. Um, bringing in Sean Dyche. So we talked about Lampard already on our last pod, but Sean Dyche is the guy, right? I mean, when you're talking about, he's like a, a rich man, Sam Allardyce, in my opinion. He's the kind of guy that will come up and get you results. He showed it on day one, picking up a, a win against Arsenal, who had lost one time all season. And he's not afraid to play ugly. And he is a guy that will say, hey, I can get you points. I can get you clean sheets. And we're going to, He's the kind of guy I would want at the helm when you're sitting in 18th, a little way, a little bit past halfway through the season. Yeah, I think if you're the the last thing I'll say. Sorry to go back to Marsh because I know we talked about him for a while. The last thing I'll say about him is I I do think that perhaps Chris there may be a little bit of a uh, sort of anti-American lens there that um, you know people are assessing. Jesse Marsh's performance, right? Like you see the memes, like people calling him Yan- uh, Yank Lampard, right? As like a nickname and stuff like that. And I, you know, I just wonder if whether that's pressure from the fans or the ownership group. Like I, I wonder if that sort of played into uh, any decision making at all, um, because you know Americans haven't been historically successful in the prem. But how, I don't know if you have any thoughts on too. that. But. You know, I don't really anymore because we've talked about that before. But the one thing I was going to say is how funny is it that. You know, if you're Jesse Marsh, people are taking a dig at you by comparing you to Frank Lampard. How far has Frank Lampard fallen? And that's <laughs> that's like a dig yeah. at him, you know? One of the best players uh, in the history of the league. But it, it's true. I saw that too. And I do think there's, especially from the fan perspective, there's a lot of guys that aren't, um, they're not going to be willing to give as long of a leash to an American. They're going to point to that as an easy, um, an easy like, knock on the guy. And especially like we talked about the way he carries himself in some press conferences, things like that. But ultimately, I think it's more about results. I don't know if the ownership really let that factor in. Okay, fair enough. Um, I think on the on the Dutch side of things, I mean, if you're if you're looking at Everton right now, like you got to be thinking, ooh, Everton are, are Everton are going to be all right, right? Um, and and if if now I look at the relegation race, relegation race, or you know kind of competition of who to be wor- who to be worse here. There's a couple teams that I'm thinking, hmm, they're not bad, right? Wolves in 15th just trounced Liverpool 3-0. Julian, Julian Lopetegui looks like he's really got a squad that's moving in the right direction now after that result. Hmm, not bad. Um, Leeds, uh, well, uh, Leeds, decent squad. Everton, Sean Dyche, hmm, not bad. 16th, West Ham, who've up been out there in Europe with David Moyes. You've got to think that they're going to figure it out. They've got a good enough squad. Um you know, Leicester in 14th just beat Villa. And then, uh, you know, and then you've got Forrest up there, 13th. Keylor Navas in goal, right? They, they've they still, they've got a bit of a point gap, six points above the relegation zone. So I don't know. Like, I, I think Bournemouth and Southampton go down for sure, especially after Nathan Jones's recent press, yeah. press, conf- press conference. But who do you think joins him? Well, I think those two are the obvious ones to point to. And then I think it's one of the Everton, Leeds, West Ham, Wolves group. Maybe Forest. I think Leicester will stay up. I would probably say Leeds at this point. 
Um, yeah, I'll say leads as well. Turmoil, so. I'll say leads as well. And, and absolutely, um, I think on the back of that arrogance, like, I mean, at, you know, the kind of that I just hinted to and kind of unrealistic expectations, like, you know, in a way sort of serves you right, you know. Um, so I, let's I won't, talk I about Jones really quick. I was gonna, I was gonna say I won't feel bad if they go down after sacking Jesse Marsh. I would have felt I would have felt I would feel bad saying that if Marsh was still at the helm. But I think that move, I, I don't respect that move, so I, w- I won't feel as bad if they go down. Agreed. Let's talk really quickly about Nathan Jones because this just absolutely blew my mind, and I want to give you your thoughts on it. I'm gonna read um, a quote or two. It's gonna take like a minute, so just bear with me. Here's Nathan Jones. I've compromised because of fans and so on. A few little things, but no more. I've been a very successful. I've been very successful playing a fluent style. Luton were a real aggressive front-footed side. Statistically, there weren't many better around, better than me around Europe in terms of aggression, clean sheets, defending the box, balls in the box, xG, all those sort of things. We were pound for pound the best because we were spending next to nothing and producing so much. And I've gone away from that. Maybe it's because of the Premier League or how things look, players, internationals, and stuff like that. I've had to compromise certain things, and I'm not going to do that again. Um, and then he also said, when asked about the, the source of Southampton's problems, the same things have been happening for a year. They're still happening. They've been losing games in the Premier League and conceding goals, not defending the box well enough, not scoring enough goals. And it's been exactly the same. We were brought in to do something different because with a shoestring budget, we were scoring, defending the box well, outpressing teams and finishing. We were doing the basics so well. That's why I was recruited to transfer that into the football club. I haven't at the minute that will change. A lot going on there. Yeah. It, it, fascinating, right? Like, th- my two th- quick thoughts on that. Firstly, this is a manager who has not managed in the Premier League before. Just clearly. The the press and the press monster in the Premier League is different than any other league in the world. It's the most televised league in the world, right? Like, that quote is, you know, you say that in League One. You say that with, as manager of Luton Town. It blows over, right? You, you, you know, you'll get like 200 retweets on it or something if you clip that together and throw it on Twitter. It, you say that in the Premier League, it gets talked about, right? And, and so there's a manager who I think is a little bit unfamiliar with the media setting and the media power that 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 uh, he wields and how kind of out of context words can be can be taken. I think about the opposite. There are some people who are so good with that, right? The Jose Mourinho's manipulating the media. I don't. I think Nathan Jones is a, is probably a good coach on the practice pitch. I don't know if he has that sort of media guy. I don't think he has that media guy based on that quote. That's the first thing that comes to mind. The second thing that that comes to mind is he's sort of like streaming his consciousness in in that interview like it's not like really coherent thoughts and he's not really referencing like anything in specific it's almost like he has this like you know devil and angel on his shoulders that are like this tug of war going on inside of his head that how he's handled a couple player conversations or coaching sessions or you know um like one-off situations that he feels like he maybe got rolled over right it's almost like you're in an argument with your friend or significant other and you kind of you know, you compromise on a couple things and it like hits you a couple weeks later. You're like, wait, that was important to me. And I didn't vocalize that, you know? Um, and he's sort of having that kind of stream of consciousness in this interview, um, which is just very, very unusual. Um, and I, I, yeah, it'll be interesting because I mean, who knows? There's something that might be powerful about that. He might have now that, you know, he might have a red mist and go and be able to execute on exactly what he wants to go and execute on. But I also, I don't love the beginning cocky, arrogant part around Luton town because mate Luton town has been better, has been just as good, if not better since you left. (laughs) <laughs> they're, they're, still playing they're, fourth, really well. they're fourth in the championship they won four of their last five like they're they're fine right like it, it isn't you and ultimately like any great leader who is saying my team my team i i i um ultimately your players aren't going to want to play for you right because they're not doing it for you know uh you need to be able to put that back on the team so um yeah interesting one again media training don't think it was the time of the place and then two this sort of stream of consciousness makes me I, he's probably a very good coach but makes me doubt uh, you know um whether or not he has the or almost like business acumen not even like coach but he might be a great coach but he might lack the 
awareness, social awareness, social EQ that you need when you're on such a large level like that, right? Yeah, I mean, I think there's kind of two ways that he that this could come across. The first one is the one that I think you kind of mentioned that everyone's just saying this comes off as very arrogant. I mean, to say that you're basically doing the best coaching job in Europe at Luton is is very bold, especially coming off of some good, pretty bad results for Southampton. You're bottom of the table, um, and you're basically saying, "Hey, the reason why we're struggling is because I'm not." Um, doing what I can do and I'm, I'm the guy to do this. Like it doesn't have to come off as a, as a negative, I think, but the way he said it was really, really poor. And you're basically in a way you're kind of taking accountability, but then you're coming out and saying, well, what are the problems? And you're using words like they've been losing games in the Premier league and not conceding goals, not defending well enough. You're like, well, the, the issue is that I'm not doing enough and they're not playing well enough. And uh, you hope that motivates the players, but it was it was a very poor way to phrase it. I think um, it comes off as him being extremely cocky, and you can't really be cocky in a moment like that when your team is really struggling. He hasn't kept a clean sheet yet, and uh, I think he's in a little bit over his head right now. They had a guy mm-hmm. there, Hasenhutl, who had been there for a while, had gotten results, went through a rough patch, and they brought in this guy to kind of be the face of their club, I'd imagine, right? You, you sign a guy from Luton who's brought that club to where they were in a way. You think, okay, this is a long-term fit. This guy knows what he's doing. He's going to uh, implement his philosophies, and, and long-term we're going to be set up for success. And it's been a really rough start. And so this is not, not a good thing. I, I think he probably sees out the season regardless because we're getting to the point where it, you know, it's the, the slap of bandit on it managers that you can bring in to try to keep you up. I don't know if that's going to work for Southampton. I don't think their squad's really good enough to stay up anyway, but this is, it's, it's immature and it shows a lack of experience from him to make these comments. And they've been talking about a lot and, and deservedly. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pretty irresponsible to be saying the things I'm, he is, I think. Yeah. And it's, I mean, what the app, like opposite end of the spectrum, he, he, he shows off of, um, compared to Sean Dyche, right? Like total opposite, right? Like I think Sean Dyche on one hand, uh, Sean Dyche, probably not the best tactician, probably not the best mm, fluid um, system coach, right? Highest pedigree, you know, is he is he a tactical genius? Don't think so, right? Um, on the other hand, Sean Dyche gives a great interview, owns the room with his players. Cal- Dominic Calvert-Lewin's talking about how much more confident the squad feels. I think he's very socially aware and is, is very aware of how he's perceived, um, how his players perceive him. Um, and, you know, his man management is very strong. And so I think Nathan Jones is sort of the opposite of that, right? I think probably a stronger t- tactician. Everyone in England in the game says he's a very good coach and tactically very astute and very clever. Um, but... On the flip side, I don't. I think you said it very well. They're in over his head. I, I don't think he has anything along the lines of that man management, owning a room, understanding his perception that that Daesh has. Um, and like you said, comments like that just uh, indicate a lack of awareness, in my opinion. Yeah, we'll see where that goes. But we just both said that we think Southampton are down, so it's going to take a yeah. turn around there. Um, let's talk. We don't need to go too, too crazy on this topic because I imagine it's going to be coming up for a while. This isn't going to be wrapped up before our next pod by any means, but we do have to talk a little bit about the Man City situation. Um, they have been charged with over 100 breaches of financial fair play in the Premier League. Um, just a little bit of background because it's kind of interesting. Um, people might remember that they were charged by UEFA a couple of years back for similar violations. They ended up appealing. It was it was going to be a two-year ban from uh, UEFA competition. They ended up getting that overturned. But it's for the same type of uh, violations, basically. And there was a, a hacker in Portugal who pulled up all these records, emails, all these things within the club and sent them to Der Spiegel in Germany, a media outlet, who kind of took that and ran with it. That's what opened up the investigation originally. And when UEFA investigated, that kind of triggered the Premier League to look into it as well. It's been going on for four years, this investigation. And um, I'm going to read a couple of um, couple of quotes here. I'm, I'm assuming you know Kieran Maguire. If you guys don't know mm-hmm. who he is, he's a really, really good follow on Twitter. Goes really deep into financial footy. Um, and he's he's got the background for it. 
So he was on BBC talking about this. And basically, here, here's some quotes from him. Um, the Premier League appeared to be claiming that the money was at, that was actually coming from the club owner, which wouldn't count towards FFP, but that money was being disguised as sponsorship income, which does count towards FFP. Um, so basically, the, the financial fair play rule, in a really simple way to explain it, is um, the Premier League did this, I think, 10, 12 years ago. They wanted to control some of the spending from the big top clubs, the richest ones. So they uh, implemented a rule where you have to essentially make up the income that you're spending. So your outgoing money has to be recouped by incoming money, whether that's from gate receipts, TV money, incoming transfers, all of that. You're allowed a slight, slight loss. So Man City is essentially going out and um, disguising money as income that's actually just coming from their ownership. Um, a couple other things. Um, Man City have actually said they welcome an independent regulator in football. Um, Kieran says, I think it would be good for the Premier League to be seen uh, to have some teeth to therefore be taking on a member and a shareholder. And then the last thing that's really interesting as well, there's there's two more things on this. Um, their sponsorship with Etihad Airways was a trigger point as well in this investigation because Etihad Airways is based in Abu Dhabi. At the time, the accusation was the deal looked very favorable to Manchester City, their sponsorship deal. So they're not sure if it was like a legitimate deal with their sponsors. And then the maybe the craziest thing of all of this is Roberto Mancini is getting uh, thrown into this as well. Um, he was their manager from 20, or 2009 to 2013. And there are rumors that he had like a second secret contract that was being funneled through his company. Um, and then basically like, that money was coming in to to him uh, through a company called Inter Italy International Services, which was issuing invoices to Man City, who then sent the money to City's owner and his company, which then in turn passed the money on to Al Jazeera to pay the coach. So it was like this paper trail, basically, that they found of, wait a second, Roberto Mancini is getting paid way more than Man City is reporting. Um, it seems very, very serious. It seems like they're definitely at fault for some of these things. I don't really know how they'd get get off with um, not being charged for any of this. So it's going to take a long time, I think. And it's the conversation is going to be what are the appropriate punishments for this? There are a lot of things that could happen. Uh, fines are very likely. Points deductions seem pretty likely. They could potentially be expelled from the Premier League. I doubt that would happen. Uh, but this is some some serious stuff, a lot of investigation going into it, and it's going to drag out for, I imagine, at least the rest of the season, probably into the summer, if not longer. Oof, exhale. Wow. Um, there's a lot there. A couple things that, I, I don't know, I think how this is going to go down. It's funny. Quick note on Kieran Maguire. Great follow. He's actually been posting for years. Um, He's really good. Link, links to major sponsors that... Uh, city actually list list because all all clubs have to publish their their finances, um, and and their earnings to FFP and those are all public uh, documents so you can see sort of how high they you know how much of a loss they post and, and where they're posting income from, and this is where it all gets this is the area where every club is finagling ffp in england in different ways right so we talked about chelsea amortizing um the purchasing of players over years this is so they don't have to put um recoup huge losses right from a huge like enzo fernandez deal they spread out over eight years or the lifetime of contract it looks like a smaller transfer right that's a hack um other hacks are selling your stadium to a third-party company um that also happens to be owned by your owner big easy way to pump cash into your club if you need it right so there are a lot of options villa's done that before a lot of options um and some of them quite frankly like are very obviously unethical <laughs> right like the the purchase of a stadium one uh that's a really easy one but you know like it very becomes very difficult to regulate um and uh and so anyway i think with with this with this with the whole the whole city fiasco i think what'll end up happening if i'm really honest sim there was a similar reaction last time i think they'll end up getting a, a bunch of fines maybe a transfer embargo for a season or so which again there's ways to finagle around um and and i think that'll be it 
I think they'll appeal it. Quite a bit will go off um, and uh, maybe a transfer embargo for a window or two at the most. But I, I don't see a points deduction on the horizon. Um, I don't see a stripping of titles or anything like that. Um, and uh, and that's just because not because I, you know, think that they're guilty or not guilty. You know, I, who knows? Right. I'm not in the in the in those rooms. But I do think it's very difficult to uh, uh, to prove a lot of these in, you know, in in the world of court um and yeah the uh, only that other thing that's will be interesting only other thing that's really interesting about this right now that i'll touch on for a second is uh the pep Guardiola um kind of impact of it because there is a, a manager or excuse me an interview going around uh with him from last year where they talked about um rumblings of this investigation and pep basically came out and said if the club lied to him in any way yeah, he will not support them and he, he'll walk and they won't be friendly afterwards. So I don't know what the relationship has been like with their handling of the investigation and communication with Pep, but it could be a little bit of a sticking point. Things are already a little bit shaky there right now with their, their struggle in form with Cancelo fallout. Mm -hmm. So you just don't really know what's going to happen there, but keep an eye on Pep's reaction to it. Um, but like we said, this isn't going to be wrapped up Um you know, in the next few days, it's going to take a while. So we'll have more updates to come on that as they um, get reported. And eventually mm -hmm. something's going to happen. I don't think there's going to be an impact for this season. though. Agreed. Yeah. And you've got the Ivan Tony investigation lurking as well. So a couple things are interesting precedents. Um, and Greenwood, which for... we're going to talk about right now, but yeah, we could spend 45 minutes talking about Mason Greenwood and, and all that. So, and Be Benjamin Mendy, that's uh, another pod earmark that. Um, so we're going <laughs> to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do a fantasy corner drive by. So we're not actually going to park and, and enter fantasy corner. We're going to do a quick drive by our drive by for fantasy corner. Um, just to make sure everybody, this upcoming game week, game week 23, um, you have Man City and Arsenal. So the top two leagues, teams in the league doubling. Um, I think you absolutely need to triple up on Arsenal. Um, I think City, you need double, debatable on, on if you need triple City. Um, a lot of people are unsure on where to go into the defense. I think if you, you know, if you're not sure, you go Rico Lewis, who's a 3.9 million defender. Um, uh, in Man City, I have him myself. Um, and then just a word to the wise, there is a blank game week on uh, in game week 25. Um, so you'll have a Manchester United, a lot of people who have their assets in Newcastle, both blank in 25 because of the cup. Um, and then a lot of teams are blanking in game week, and so do Brighton, Brighton. and Brentford. Um, yep. So any Mat Matoma men and women out there. Um, so keep an eye on that as you're making your transfers for this week, um, probably avoiding some of those assets. Um, given the blank in, in three weeks. Um, trivia, Chris, I present to you this week. Okay. Um, we're going to go, I'm going to give you 90 seconds. Cause I'm asking for a lot of names here. Um, I'm, I, I might even give you two minutes. We'll start off with 90 seconds. We'll see how you're doing optional extension for 30 seconds more. Um, in the premier league, uh, there are quite a few players with assists and with a lot of assists there aren't that many players um outside of the top 10 with a lot of assists okay so i have there are 10 players in the premier league who are currently on teams 11 through 20 right so liverpool is in 10th okay so a little hint there no one from liverpool um 11 through 20 uh, there are 10 players with four assists or more in the Premier League. Actually, nine players with four, one with five. Okay. Um, so I'm going to give you 90 seconds to name as many of the bottom, because we focused a lot of our discussion on the bottom half of the Prem for this pod. 90 seconds to name those 10 players with four assists or more on bottom half of the Prem teams. Um, okay. Your timer starts now. James Madison? Yes. Harvey Barnes? No. Um, Zaha? No. Elise? Yes. Okay. Um, Douglas Louise? Yes. Wendia? No. Um, Ali Watkins? Yes. Okay, Ali so that was that That's four. four? Um, yeah. <sighs> Piketa, probably not yet. Um, nope. Jared Bowen, I don't think so. Nope. 
Um, Leads. Um, Aronson, Rodrigo. Nope. nope. Um. Okay. Um. You have forty-five seconds. Yep. All right. Let's think. Let's think. Let's think. Brennan Johnson. Nope. Um. Eze, probably not. I don't know nope. if there's anyone else from Jewelry Palace. Uh, there are not. There are not. Okay. Not Aaron Cresswell. <laughs> Declan Rice. Um. Nope. Yeah. Ten seconds. I'm not. I don't think I'm gonna be able to get another one. Um. I'm trying to think if there's anyone from. Oh. Um. Alex Awobi. Yes. Okay. Well and done. Then... All right. I'll call it. Call it right there. You got half of the list. That's not terrible. Um, I'm pretty impressed. And you. You came out of the gates hot. You got four well, I was just straight thinking, away. All right, what are those teams on the bo- in the bottom half that actually score? And Leicester is one of them, so that was an easy place to start. But yeah, well, you got Le- Leicester, and then you immediately got the Villa and Palace out- assets. So a little bit of probably fandom bias there. No doubt, um, no doubt. Um, what teams uh, you, are the other guys on? Yeah, I was gonna say you broached th- three teams uh, actually, and didn't guess these players, and I, you were guessing players from those teams. So that's a hint. For you Jack right Harrison? Yep, Jack Harrison is one of them. Is there someone from West Ham? Nope. Okay. Um, so what other teams did I approach? Forest? Yep. Uh oh man, I don't know who I'd be for Forest. Forest yeah, is. He always plays uh, on top with Brendan Johnson. Him and Brendan Johnson uh, sort of look alike out there. Sort of look alike. Well, they just signed Chris Wood, so I know it's not. <laughs> they don't, they don't yeah, really correct. resemble each other too much. Um, they've they've rotated a little bit up top. Let me think. Um, it's not Emmanuel Dennis. Um, uh, Taiwo. No, he's escape. No, he's the one player you haven't said. Oh my god. Um, I don't. Whoa. Um, Gibbs White. Yep. Well done. He's been good, actually. I, I think he's a pretty good player. That was a good signing for them. Gibbs yep. White, and then and I don't another, I There's another, good. yeah. There's another player um, from a team that you, the first team you guessed. From Leicester. Yep. Hulmans. No. Um. He's he's up here every year. You already got Madison Classic. It's another English in their attack. Well, it's not Vardy, is it? Yeah, it is. It is. Um, How many so then, Probably not. So then, <laughs> no, now you've got uh, an, an, a midfield option from Bournemouth, and then you've got a right back. Um, well, no, I lied. Sorry. You just have Walker a midfield Peters? option from, from Bournemouth. Oh, okay. Wait, so. No, no, no right back. No right back. I lied. I lied. I lied. Okay. Um, Lewis Cook. Um, uh, no, close. Close. Well, English, I mean, probably. Close. Then. He's English, yeah. Um, trying to think of midfield. Tavernier. Yeah, I think. He, yeah, he is Marcus Tavernier. Well done. Well done. Um, okay. And that's and that's all you got because plot twist. As I'm looking at my names here, I realize one of the people with four assists is Kenny Tete, who's in the top half of the prem. Um, so there were only nine oh, yeah. that entire time. Okay. So, so I got over half then. <laughs> yeah, you got it. over half. All right, well, we'll take that. Uh, that's a good one. Yep. Yeah, all right. So five of nine. Well done. Uh, over 50%. I think that's always a good benchmark for um, for trivia. And uh, and you flew out of the gates and got, um, and got our team's player. So uh, overall, quite impressive. The player with the most assists out of that list is Alex Awobi. Interestingly enough, he's the only... Um, he is one of two, uh, well, sorry, one of, mm, no lied. He's the only premier, he's the only player with five assists who is, um, not on a top 10 team. He's he's quietly been putting up really good numbers this season for a bad Everton Mm -hmm. team. Um, Mm -hmm. not talking about a lot. So nice. All right, cool. Well, I'll get you you back next week. Um, but we've been on a pretty good roll with the trivia lately. Let's, uh, let's hit our predictor, uh, picks and get out of here. Yeah. Yeah, I think the Palace Brighton game is going to be bonkers. Um, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go one one. 
bonkers one one i uh yeah but like but like a chaotic one one like someone gets sent off you know like something crazy like that i don't know i just still don't know where palace's goals are coming from without wilf um i'm excited to see the new signings in there but brighton are a little bit more than they can handle right now i'm gonna go two nil brighton i hate that i don't want that to happen i hate it how about bournemouth newcastle um newcastle so that was we didn't really talk about games as much this weekend but crazy that Arsenal lose, and then City also lose, Newcastle draw. So a couple teams that could have picked up points there when Arsenal finally slipped, and they didn't uh, didn't get a lot out of it. But Newcastle, mm-hmm. are they're good. They're strong. Uh, I'm going to go 2-0 over Bournemouth. So 2-0 yeah. for both the wayside so far. Yeah, I actually think Bournemouth could nick one. I like some of their signings. Um, I like 3-1, though. I think Newcastle, okay. yeah, put a bit of hurt on them. So first of two matches between uh, Leeds and United coming up here in the short term. Leeds at home this time. Um, don't know if they'll have a manager by then, but we we do talk a lot about the new manager bounce. We just saw Sean Dyche get a result. Leeds have any chance against United this weekend? Uh, I think they get a little unraveled, actually, um, at home. I'm going to go 3-0 United. I could see that happening, um, but I'm going to go 1-1. I don't know. I, this Leeds team has quality. We talked about it. And sometimes that's enough. I, they really, really need a result. They're playing at home. Um, I, I think they're going to put up a good fight in this one. I don't know if it'll be enough. But I'm going to go one-one there. Uh, the next one, Man City looking for a bounce back. Aston Villa also looking for a bounce back uh, at the Etihad. Who do you like? Uh, I like Villa. Sort of similar to to put on a similar defensive display that they did under Spurs when they came back after the World Cup break. Um, I think Emery's going to have a few tricks up his sleeve. He went to that back six in that game at times. I think he's going to prove very difficult to break down for City. Um, But City Villa just to give up four goals. Um, I like City... Actually, no. I like Villa with all the news around Pep. I'm going to go Villa 1-0. Wow, that that took a lot out of you. But you always go back to Villa. I love when you're talking about Jesse Marsh. You're going on it. You're like, I'm going to want to rant about Jesse Marsh in 20 seconds. And you're like, it reminds me of Aston Villa. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I'm going to go to one city. I do like what Villa have been doing. It was really sloppy. A couple of bad mistakes uh, playing out of the back last week. I know we talked about how they should be doing that still, but it it was pretty ugly. Uh, Bubakar Kamara finally um, had a a bit of a mare. He's been really good all year. Uh, City really need a bounce back though. They, they dominated possession in the first half against Spurs. I thought they were going to come out in the second and turn it around, and they didn't. Holland was nowhere to be found. I think they're going to get their result here. I think it's going to be a little bit tough for them, but I'm going to go 2-1. And then uh, two more on the plate here. And this is something that I screwed up last week. I don't know what NBC is doing to us, but they added a sixth game to try to make it even tougher for us to win that 50K. We just missed it last week. You had, you had to scroll down, I didn't realize. So there's two left. Uh, another derby to start, Liverpool versus Everton. I'll leave this one off. Liverpool are in shambles. Everton finally have a little bit of momentum. Nil-nil. <laughs> nil-nil. Sean Dyche classic. I love your level of disgust around the sixth game, like as if we were winning 50K every week, and now it's impossible. Well, you know, um, if you think about the, the math and the probability, adding a sixth game in there probably hurts your chances quite a bit. Yeah, it really does. I'm going to go uh, Everton, another 1-0 win. Wow, that would be that'd be crazy. Uh, yeah. And then the last one is going to be a, a big spectacle. This is on the fifteenth, so it'll be after next weekend. Um, next, it'll be a week from Wednesday. Arsenal at home against Man City. This is going to this is going to have a huge, huge impact on where the title race goes. Uh, what do you think for this one? I think City win it. Um... And the City Villa prediction earlier, I'm a little tongue in cheek. I'm sort of saying that obviously with Villa bias. Full seriousness with this result, I think City win this one 2 1. Um, Because the thing about Arteta's Arsenal is I don't think that they're not going to play like Spurs, right? So they're going to go toe to toe. And I think Pep wins and, you know, City side win in that game and they they win 2 1. But it'll be a great game. I can already see Pep's. Uh, post-match press conference here interview he's gonna be talking about listen guys i've told you for weeks that we can't win the league this year it's someone else's time yeah. and it's going to be on the heels of arsenal 3-1 win at home uh, their arteta's men are gonna be flying 
flying in that match at wow. home. I think that that match right there is going to be the point in the season where everyone says, okay, this is officially Arsenal's to lose, and they're going to have to really fall apart to do it. I think that's where they, they really put their flag in the ground um, and make a statement. Wow, that could be where uh, all of a sudden Manchester United start to sneak into the race as well. You know, if, if that result is explosive, who knows, you know? Sure. Well, well, as always, gang, um, we're coming up here on an hour and f- uh, hour and five minutes. We, Chris and I, it's so funny. We every pod, we're like, all right, let's keep this one short. And then, uh, you know, Jesse Marsh just, just get, tickled my tickled my airwaves. We get longer and longer. It, it's fine. <laughs> we like talking. Hopefully, people don't don't get bored of us talking for an hour. But next week, it's going to be a shorter one. I swear. All right, we swear. Uh, but give us a follow, of course, uh, at uh, Goes to Show Pod um, on Twitter. Um, we've been sending out the episodes, and it, as uh, like we actually haven't said this on the on the pod before, but if you could subscribe on Apple Podcasts or uh, Spotify, that way you get notified when we send out the new um, the new episodes. Um, a lot we get, I get a lot of listens because I, I post on Instagram and now and Chris and I will tweet. Um, but if you just subscribe directly to the podcast, it's just a lot easier. Even if you don't you know, get a chance to listen, at least like you're directly notified and it takes out that kind of third party notification. So, um, yeah, please I subscribe and, and love and, that. I have one download. other thing too. Um, I did this on Sunday. I'll probably try to do it again, at least for a couple games this weekend, but just tweeting out some gambling picks before kickoff and then doing a little bit of live tweeting during the match. Shout out Nick Scarlatelli. He, uh, he got a bet in that he replied to me on Twitter. It was Harry Kane first goal scorer. Shout out Harry Kane. We didn't talk about him, but uh, that was like yeah. plus 650. I'm not a gambling expert, but it is fun to get on the discussion. So I'll try to do a little bit more of that and feel free to interact, ask questions, tweet your picks, all of that. It makes it a little bit more fun to watch. Yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll get a sports book to sponsor us and we'll use uh, promo code CHIS23 for like uh, your first $100 off or something, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm gonna, I'll have a, a parlay <laughs> boosted on there every week for you guys. Nice. The chest parlay. Um, well, that's, uh, that's all I got, Chris. Um, you know, as always, just goes to show. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great weekend. Uh, and everybody's human.